0: Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas.
1: Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. I completely changed my mind on what I was going to preach this afternoon. I had not planned to preach this until I was sitting in the pew right there. And I told Carrie, I said, I'm kind of waffling on what to preach on and I hope this is right. I quoted a little bit of this last night, but I want to look at something. I want to look. Today in Matthew chapter 16, at the keys to the kingdom. Jesus mentions the keys to the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 16, it says, The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today. For the sky is red and lowering. Oh, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. (laughs) Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason you among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not remember, do ye not understand, neither remember, the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And, some, and they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah or so one of the prophets. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. 20 verses there in Matthew chapter 16. Talks about the keys. He tells Peter, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Hmm. Now Jesus has already been teaching and preaching the kingdom since He started preaching. That word in Scripture, kingdom, is mentioned 33 times alone in the book of Matthew before we even get to right here. So Jesus has been preaching His kingdom. By the way, as a little aside, I really, I, and I don't, I'm not trying to throw off on anybody, I, I really feel sorry for those who are waiting on the kingdom of God to come. I do they're not enjoying it right now they're waiting on it to come they see it as a futuristic thing I'm sad for those people you know the first words recorded in the book of Matthew in Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 he says repent why? for the kingdom of heaven is at hand he gives them action and then he gives them the reason for the action Repent because the kingdom of heaven is here. The first words in the Sermon on the Mount on, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed art the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's preaching his kingdom right from the beginning. Every time. Matthew chapter 6, six, thirty-three, 33, one of my favorite verses. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. This sounds like an important thing, this kingdom. For us to seek the kingdom sounds important. So me being kind of simple-minded, if it's this important, I want to know how to do it. I, I, I need to know. I, I need you to tell me. Well, Jesus tells Peter He's going to give him the keys. So my question that I asked is, how do we seek the kingdom and what are the keys What are the keys to the kingdom of heaven? What is Jesus talking about here? Well, Jesus, when he's telling Peter this in Matthew chapter 16 and 19, that it will give him the keys, it began with a lesson on leaven, didn't it? When he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. It's so funny that the apostles say, when he tells them this, to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they talked among themselves, like, it's, it's because we forgot to bring the bread we were supposed to. I mean, it's really hilarious. I mean, Jesus, <laughs> do you not remember how I just fed multitudes two different times of five, five loaves of bread? Y'all really think I need y'all's bread? Right. Y'all really think that I, I've got, you know what the lesson is there? I tell you the lesson what he's telling his disciples. I don't need you; you need me. Amen. They were sitting there going, "Oh yeah, we really let him down." I mean, I understand they were supposed to bring it and they forgot. But the lesson here is, I don't need y'all. Y'all need is that, is that too hard? I, I don't think. I hope not. God doesn't quote unquote need us, but you know who does? Your neighbor. Your church. We need the church, and the church needs us. Jesus tells His disciples the main thing you need to do in your need of Me is to avoid false teachers and cling to My teaching. That's what He's telling them. You cling to My teaching and to My doctrine, and you avoid these false teachers. This fact this key right here is the beginning of the keys of the kingdom you know what the beginning is? Recognizing false teaching I've heard it said before that there are experts in this country supposedly who can spot counterfeit money no matter how close it comes to the original And you know how they get so good at it? They study the original. They don't study the counterfeit. They study the original. They know the original so good that they can recognize a counterfeit from a mile away. Jesus declared himself in John chapter 14 and verse 6, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, when he was on earth, now, follow me closely here. Jesus did not go around saying and teaching things that were true. Things were true because Jesus said them. You understand what I'm saying? He is truth. He didn't have a separate truth. He went by, yes, him and his father are one, but Jesus didn't have some outside force feeding him truth. He he is truth. So God doesn't say things that are true. Things are true because God says them. Paul said in Romans chapter 3 verse 4 to let God be true and but every man a liar. In the 25th Psalm in the 5th verse it says, "Lead me in thy truth and teach me." Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5 says, "Every word of God is pure, and John declared Jesus in John chapter 1 and verse 14 as being full of grace and truth. He is the definition of the truth. And while the beginning of seeking the, key, uh, the keys to the kingdom, pressing into the kingdom, that, that's used in Scripture too, entering into the kingdom, the key is to recognizing false teaching And also to recognize who is the king of the kingdom, right? Because if we just seek the truth from the king, then we know where to go. Philippians chapter 3, Paul said this in verses 18 and 19. He said, The enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mine earthly things he's talking about a group of people there those are the enemies of the cross of Christ their ending as I mentioned this morning is destruction Jesus seeks to ensure his apostles know who the king is there in verses 13 through 15 right when he came, it says, when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? They had to get this right. Right? Like I said, you, you have to do something with this man, Jesus. You have to establish who he is. Peter gets a bad rap. And for good reason a lot of times. Even though I was cutting up with one of my friends a couple weeks ago, Brother Ernie Bryson, hey, we were talking about Peter and John. You know, John, we're just kind of being funny, but you know, I think I would have liked Peter. Peter was always sticking his foot in his mouth, right? Always saying the wrong thing. I, I could relate to that guy. I think, I think him and John had a little competition, I mean, John in his gospel made sure that everybody knew that he beat Peter to the tomb. (laughs) And he called himself constantly the disciple whom Jesus loved. But you know, Peter, he messed up a lot, didn't he? He was zealous though. Doggone it, Peter wanted to do right. You know, I, I guess I just see a lot of Peter in me. I sure do mess up a lot. But this is one time Peter didn't mess up. Peter's response is so good that it is recorded in Scripture. When Jesus said, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is perfect theology. Absolutely perfect theology. Peter nails this 100%. Why is good theology important? Why is it important that we get that right? More importantly, what will it do for you? What what should good theology do for you? Well, it should do for you the opposite of what their theology did for the Pharisees. Good theology should humble us. If it doesn't, it's not good theology. Mm -hmm. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Y'all hear, you know, every wedding you go to, just about this is read, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. A portion of that. But how does that um, chapter start? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in verse 1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... It profiteth me nothing. Paul is saying, you can literally get every single point of something correct, but if it's not delivered with charity or kindness, it's good for nothing. Doesn't matter. I love, though, in our King James Bible, this says charity And not love. Not that love is a bad word. It's a good word. And charity is love in action. Most people know that. But listen to this definition of charity. This is from the OED. From the... This ain't your modern day dictionary, okay? Listen to this definition of charity. A disposition to judge hopefully of men and their actions and to make allowances for their shortcomings. That's charity. Let me read that again. A disposition to judge hopefully of men and their actions and to make allowances for their shortcomings. That is how you get a point across. That's how you teach. That is part of the keys to the kingdom of heaven is dealing with people through charity. If good theology is not delivered in charity, it's not good theology. That's what Paul was saying right there. You know what's amazing is Jesus teaches that in the very next verse, doesn't he? After Peter gets his theology a thousand percent correct, as I mentioned last night, Jesus didn't pat him on the back and say, good boy. I am proud of you for figuring that out. He said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. He said, Peter, the fact that you know who I am, you get down on your knees and you thank God for it. Amen. So, want a little more humility for Peter? In verse 18, Jesus said, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what's interesting, though? The very verse before, verse 17, he called him Simon. He called him Simon in verse 17. He called him Peter in verse 18. Why would he do that? Well, we read in the book of John, as you all know, Jesus is the one who named him Peter. He started calling him Peter. His, name, his given name is Simon. And in John chapter 1, verse 40, it says, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. He findeth his own brother Simon. Y'all see that? And saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, who is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, Thou shalt be called Cephas, as translated Peter, which is by interpretation a stone. A stone. Hmm. Well, so he calls Peter a stone. And I don't think Peter understood this at the time. And I'll tell you this, when he said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He called Peter a stone, like a little pebble. He said, Thou art Peter, upon this rock will I build my church. Peter is the little stone, Christ is the rock upon which the church is built on. You know what's so neat about that, though? The fact that I said Peter, didn't understand that then. I know he didn't understand it because he denied him when it came time to um, take up for Jesus, didn't it? But then when we read Peter's epistles, in 1 Peter chapter 2, listen to what Peter wrote beginning in verse 1. He said, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire that sincere word of the milk, that ye may grow thereby. If so, be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also... It is contained in the Scripture Behold, I lay in Zion a chief corner stone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them that which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedience, unto also. They were appointed. I think Peter got it. He said, "We're a bunch of lively stones here in the church." I love how he calls them. Calls us. You're a lively stone. That goes back to what I talked about last night. You know, there's nothing more dead than a rock. I mean, I, 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 I guess that's right. I, I've heard dead as a hammer, dead as a wedge, dead a rock. But a lively stone. We've been made alive by Christ. We were this. Dead little pebble, and now we've been made alive, and that's what the kingdom is the building up of these pebbles, and then Christ being the chief cornerstone. But my main point leading up to this what are the keys to the kingdom of heaven? What was Jesus talking about? This is what I believe he's talking about. The two keys know who is the king, and recognize false teaching. Those are the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And in talking about the keys to the kingdom of heaven, right here, he says, you got to reckon, beware these false teachers. You got to know who I am. But then he starts talking about this binding and loosing stuff. That that, that troubled me for a long time. I I don't think I had a good grip on that. I, I don't know if I still do, but I think this is what he means here. He goes on two chapters later in Matthew chapter 18 and they start talking about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus starts talking about children. He starts talking about and when they asked him this in Matthew chapter 18 they said "Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus like he did so often would answer in such a way that they're sitting there scratching their heads going what's he doing here he goes again I can hear him now here he goes again what's he doing this time and Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said verily I say unto you except ye be converted and become as little children ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven you know what I've noticed about little children now mine are 15 13 and 11 My 15-year-old especially, he's a boy too. He's getting pretty smart. You you know what I'm talking about, Brother Dan. He's a good kid. I'm not throwing off a great kid. But he's getting pretty smart. Or so maybe you might start to think at that age. But they are good kids. I'm very thankful for them. But when they were little, they still like this to an extent. Carrie was talking about... Cold at lunch and right now, you know, he believes about everything his daddy believes. But little, little children, they follow their parents without question, right? They'll follow them around everywhere. Think about a mama duck walking, them little ducklings just right behind her. Right? Jesus said that's what you need to be like. You need to be like little children following me. They follow, little children follow their parents unreservedly. It should be the same way with us in the kingdom. We should follow Christ without question, unreservedly, without fear. It's one of the hardest things you will ever do because you're we still have that old Adam nature. And you know what else is one of the hardest things you'll ever do? After Jesus talks about becoming like little children in the kingdom. When you go down there in Matthew 18 to verse uh, 15. Jesus says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established and if he shall neglect to hear them tell it unto the church but if he neglect to hear the church let him be unto thee as a heathen and a publican you know that's hard to do it really is you know what the easier thing to do is go go talk about this person to brother so and so guess what brother so and so did over there can you believe he did that to me that's easy, right? That, that, that's the cowardly way. We take that approach so often. But that's not what Jesus instructs us to do. And then what is Jesus going to say in verse 18? Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind in earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There he goes again talking about this binding and loosing stuff. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there there am I in the midst of them. By the way, in the context, that's not talking about a church service. It's not. But what he just told us is, if you will do things like this, then I will do something. He says, Verily I say unto you, Whatever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay. So looking at Matthew 16 and Matthew chapter 18, he's saying, If you do this, then I will do this. This is what I think he's talking about, the keys to the kingdom and the binding and loosing on heaven and in earth. The keys to the kingdom of heaven is a set of behaviors. And when he talks about binding and loosing, what Jesus is saying, if you will do things my way, if you will follow me, If you will trust me, if you'll beware of false teachers and shun them, do things my way in your life, I'll be right there to help you. I'll bind myself to you from heaven to help you. But if you want to do things your way, you're on your own. I'll cut you loose to do it. But don't expect him to help you do things the wrong way. He's not going to do it. If you commit to resolving a conflict my way, I'll be there to help you. That's what Jesus was telling in Matthew chapter 18. I'll be right there to help you. Basically what he's saying, you bind yourself to me, I'll bind myself to you. Now we know we're not talking about eternally, right? Does that even have to be established? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about life here under the sun. We're talking about living in the kingdom. I'm going to close in Matthew chapter 6 in the model prayer. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9, he said, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power of and the glory forever. Amen. The keys to the kingdom is to do things His way and He will help you do them. Look down at verse 24. Jesus said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof seeking the kingdom of God. You want God's help in this life? I do. Amen. I want His help living day to day. Try doing things His way. Amen. He'll, he'll help you out if you do things His way. May God bless you. Amen.
0: Brother Kevin has mentioned several times that these things are much simpler, really, if you just look at them plainly as they're stated in the Word of God. Many things are so simple, and uh, the world of religion makes them so difficult. Seek first the kingdom of God. That is not difficult to understand, but we find it difficult to put into practice a lot of times. Elsewhere in that same discourse, later on, and I think addressing in many respects the same notion, like how do you save yourself from this untoward generation? As someone who is born again, headed for glory, a child of God, that's been affirmed by your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, knowing that, how do I live out the remainder of my life here a little further on he says enter ye at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be which go in thereat it's it's easy to go with the flow and going with the flow is the process of just i'm not going to put christ first i'm just going to go after all things the world goes after it's referred to as a straight gate it's a narrow aperture you have to get through it's going to take some care to get in there Many people take this text and they say, well, it's talking about how you get eternal life. You've got to enter the straight gate. That's how you're going to get to heaven, and the broad way is going to hell. This is talking to God's people here, right? This is talking about how you're going to live out your life. You're going to go the Broadway, and I'm telling you, many of God's people go the Broadway, and it manifests itself in destruction in innumerable ways in their lives. But those who apply themselves go by the straight gate, discipline themselves to go in at the straight gate. By the way, we know this can't have eternal ramifications. Though I can see maybe if someone stood on you know one foot and closed one eye and maybe had a lucky rabbit's foot, they might say, well, that's dealing with eternal salvation. But in Luke, we find the same thing being recounted. And Jesus Christ uses one word there that completely eliminates that idea altogether. He says, strive striving is effort the word there means agonize put some effort into it now if that's talking about eternal salvation then jesus christ is teaching your eternal salvation is based on your effort and that means when he said with men it is impossible he must have been mistaken (laughs) he should have said with men you just need to try a little harder Brothers and sisters, when it says strive to enter at the straight gate, it's talking about seeking first the kingdom of God. It's talking about putting Christ first. It's talking about becoming that servant you're talking about. You're going to see things serving in the kingdom that you never saw if you weren't serving. It's a blessed state to be in, and it's something we're exhorted to. So I pray that's been a blessing to you. i give you an opportunity to come by and thank Brother Kevin. He'll be back in the morning to preach for us again, and then we'll have, our, we'll have a lunch if we can eat a third meal. I don't know if I'll eat for the next 48 hours. Uh, But we'll have lunch after church tomorrow, and then we'll have our communion and foot washing service. So we'll invite you back for that. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church.